So God willing, this is Parshat Mitzorah 5779. I'm sitting here with my good friend Ezra. And we're going to look at the Sod Yesharim, the secret of the righteous, on the upcoming holiday of Passover. This is the Radzin um, tradition. They're kind of like, they're famous for saying, from a perspective, you don't have free will. Of course, a person has free will. But this school of thought, which, by the way, Rabbi Ingber, and please, like, speak. Like, this yeah, is, yeah, sure. so Rabbi Ingber is a, very much a student of Rav Tzadok Cohen, who is of Lubin, who was of the school of Izbacher and Radzin. And Rav Tzadok of Cohen says that, yes, there's free will. Yes, there is effort. But the effort is to create the conditions to see what's already there. So from the perspective of what's already there, you really don't have free will. From the perspective of clarifying the illusion, it's absolutely hard work. This would fit right into the whole idea of we're constantly remembering leaving Egypt. The effort of leaving Egypt, from, from one perspective, we were just passive sheep being taken out. What, what did we do? But on the other hand, we had to slaughter the, the Passover sacrifice. The, the verses are read out. You ha- we had to uproot ourselves from idolatry because, you know, it's brought that one of the main reasons for the plagues was to shake us off of idolatry. Right, it wasn't just for the Egyptians. Right. But, and also, and many, many Egyptians came out. You know, it was for their sake as well. They were liberated as well. Many Egyptians were liberated as well. And, but what we had to do was cry out and pray. Like, that was what we had to do. So, let's see what the uh, Sodia Sharing says. It says that the more you increase speaking of leaving Egypt, especially on Passover night, that's good. You want to talk and talk and talk. By the way, Pesach, the Arizal says, mystically refers to Pesach. The mouth is the pace is speaking. Pesach is, yeah. It's all about, like, in other words, when you're oppressed, you don't talk. You don't have a mind. There's all these things you want to express and say, but you're just not able to. You're silenced. <laughs> it, says Zohar, it says in the Zohar, mystically, that in Egypt, that the, the speech was an exile. Because God's presence is called the Shechina, which um, specifically is associated with speaking, like expressing. If we imagine the heavenly realms as thoughts and ideas, it's as if we could say that Hashem himself was like held back from expressing within his own world. And that itself was the state of the Jewish oppression. Like, we are supposed to express God in the world. If we can't express ourselves, then God is, so to speak, not able to express in the world. Obviously, again, it's a world he created, and he can't. He makes it, like, that way. But, anyway, it's stuff to think about. Anyway, it's very good to speak and speak and speak about leaving Egypt. Hashem gets a lot of pleasure when we speak about his about how he took us out of Egypt. We're doing it all the time. We're constantly saying, as a remembrance of leaving Egypt, and specifically on the night of Passover, it's like a big whammy. And this gives, so to speak, power to Hashem's upper forces. Really, a person is supposed to be in a constant state of praising Hashem. 
for all the miracles that Hashem has done from prior, and that itself gives God strength, so to speak, to do more miracles for that person in his life and for his community and so forth. Why do you say this is a requirement when Hashem knows everything that happened and everything that's going to happen? What are you telling Hashem? Something he doesn't know? No, because there is something called the accusing force the prosecuting attorney that stands always before Hashem to to speak our um, de, um, to request to punish us and find us liable in all sorts of different situations and you might say that this a prosecuting angel is the force of forgetfulness right in other words what strength are we giving God we are opening up channels to wake up the prosecutor is the force of putting us back to sleep. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds all mystical and mythical, but we could turn it into psychological truths or, or see it through what we understand, the languages that we can understand. All right. In other words, this is a force that's constantly trying to find where we are liable and constantly trying to block the connection between, you know, our communication with Hashem. You know, we're, we're supposed to be in this constant communication. So this this concept of telling Hashem what he already knows is by praising and also by um, admitting to problems. In other words, to admitting to a person's faults and what he did wrong. And again, a, per, a person does something incorrect. Of course, why do you have to tell Hashem? And when you did tshuva, you know, I did this thing wrong. I did, But it says, mystically, that also the accuser sees that when you already, you know, you ran to the courthouse and you admitted before he got there, then he can't say anything. When you judge yourself on yourself and do tshuva on yourself, then the accuser cannot set in and say it from his perspective. Again, I think... The way we can bring this down to earth is say when a person like messes up and says, I messed up today. You know, this person is supposed to do tshuva every night before he goes to sleep. He says, I messed up today and I did this wrong because I was under this pressure and I hurt this person in this way and I, and I got forgiveness from them. But you become aware. You bring it to the light of awareness. When you bring it to the light of awareness, you're more able to take action. Yeah. And I think this mystical, mystical force of accusation is if you don't bring it to the light of awareness, then that's like where ignorance and bad patterns set in. Like that is this accuser, something like that. Sure. I mean, there's also you could also argue that it come, it gets into one's subconscious. Yeah. Right. Because if we often we do feel like we do bad things, and then we just start thinking of ourselves as bad right. people. And if right. we can't recognize that what we're doing is bad, and we start justifying those bad things as not being bad. Or forgetting about it. Right. Or forgetting about it, then it, it creates patterns and yeah. it becomes a part of who we are in a way that strips our free will for us. Yes. Yeah, so by the positive and the negative as well. Yeah. You know, a person can experience tremendous miracles in their life and kind of like, if they don't constantly like bring it to the light of awareness, that gets forgotten. And then like, well, why would you give in this miracle? To give you strength to, keep, to do even more things. Yeah. All right. Let's see what he says though. That there's this 
okay, this is one of the points he's hammering over and over that we were taken out before we were ready. We were, we were not fully ready to get out. And this actually explains why there were such long exiles after the Egyptian exile. The Egyptian exile was supposed to be it. This explains why they fell by the golden calf. They didn't quite develop all of the way that they were fully supposed to develop in Egypt. Had they fully developed in Egypt, they wouldn't have fallen by the golden calf. It's brought. You know, since they did the golden calf, then they have to pay for it. No, the other exiles, but okay, we were taken out kind of too soon because we weren't getting it fully, and if we stayed there longer, it would have been all over. Also, though, it's brought that from the other perspective, it's like the Egyptians were given this, this green light, whether they knew it or not, to ascend over the Jewish people, but they took it too far and made it the torture and the difficulty that they put us through too intense. So that also kind of explains why there was a, such a harsh punch on them to get us out. It's all interesting. Anyway. This is why I keep saying that you, you, you ran out of Egypt really fast. Meaning we, we, were, we were taken out like in a rushed way. We weren't really quite ready to get out. Now, how does he describe that we, we weren't quite cooked there? We didn't quite do our job all the way there. Because by us, there were many garments that had not been lit up with the light. Like, we hadn't experienced and learned to, to see the light in the darkness, all that we were supposed to um, um, in that experience. But it says in the verse in Isaiah, by the future uh, um, uh, redemption, that you will not leave in the final egg, from the final exile um, in a rushed manner. In, in contradistinction to, the, to leaving Egypt, but by the last one, you will not leave rushed. Although Rosh, Does it say that? Um, I think it's in Isaiah. He doesn't... Uh, okay. Okay, in other words, because by the final redemption, there will be no more stone unturned. There will be no more experience not gone through. No more lesson not learned. Which he's describing the language of no garment that has not been lit up. We'll have to, hopefully he'll explicate that language. But a garment, you know, in Hasidic terminology, refers to the garments of the soul as thought, speech, and action. And, uh, everything we're going through, we're, we're trying to experience the light of truth within the garments of our experience. And by Egypt, there were all these garments of experience that hadn't been brought out. But by the final exile, the reason there will be no more afterwards is because all the experiences will have been had. And therefore, we won't. We will not be taken out of it in a rushed way, because what's the rush? There's no more darkness to light up. Okay. In other words, there's also this idea that when we were standing by the Red Sea, the the prosecuting forces say these guys worship idolatry, but so do the Israelites. So why are you choosing them? 
which he's saying is tied to the idea that we hadn't fully eradicated idolatry from our system by lighting up all the dark places of our own garments of our own experience we hadn't like fully developed yet and so the the prosecuting saying hey these guys aren't ready either so why are you choosing them as it says in the Gemara, Kasha Yeshua who below Yisina Vaz Ain Adayan Gavi Yisrael Akli B'Shlemuk. Therefore, the Jews at that time did not have the complete vessel to fully receive what they were getting because they hadn't completely prepared their own vessel through going through their own trials and tribulations. El Shashem Yisrach Ma'amin Lahem Shivaru Adatzmam Achar Yeshua. But but Hashem believed in them that He's going to give them a salvation that they weren't quite ready for but he believed in them that they would keep their end of the bargain and continue to clarify the darkness even after this gift that he was giving them. So Hashem believed in them. It's a nice line. But therefore, this is the force of the, of the accuser. Maybe we can tie it into what we said was the force of the accuser earlier. The force of the accuser is always rising up to Hashem, whatever this means, and says, why do you believe in this nation more than in the other nations? You took the Israelites out when they weren't ready yet, they hadn't earned it. Why are you saying, even though this nation wasn't ready, but you believe in them that they're going to do it even after they get an undeserved gift? By the way, it wasn't undeserved. There's so many midrashim that it was from the power of different things that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did that got us out. The things that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did were so huge. The seeds that they planted in history when they were alive the, and, the, and, the, and the, the tests that they went through were so enormous that that was enough power to get out their thousands and thousands of children you know, hundreds of years later. So it's very interesting to think. So really, the ones who got out, yeah, they had to cry out to Hashem, but they mostly got out through the spiritual bank account of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that puts what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did in perspective. Well, I mean, we still hold to that. That's why the Amida is... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think about Abraham. I mean, he, he was all alone in the world. Like, pretty much... I mean, he had... He had shame, you know, Noah's son shame was around how to yeshiva, but Abraham was the only one, like, willing to, like, go out and, like, face the world. You know, tremendous tests. All right. Anyway, why does Hashem believe in us more than the other ones? And that's what the accuser is saying. All right. V'im echamash Hashem Yisrach Okay, so now he's bringing another concept. There's another fascinating, more primordial, accusatory uh, uh, um, force in the world that was accusing against the creation of a, hum- of a human being. In the beginning of the creation of the world, he's saying, why, Hashem, are you focusing on humanity when humanity is going to be born as these like, like helpless, pointless infants that have, they have to develop so much. 
why are you investing all in them when you've got to do so much for them to develop before they can do it themselves? Kind of like the Jewish people as well. It's like a very fascinating analogy, but we were like infants that Hashem's like, okay, I'm going to like develop them and teach them and then they'll finish it up. So the accusing forces at the beginning of creation are also saying like, hey, why don't you just, why don't you pick uh, these animals? Like they're, they're, they're born very much developed. Okay, anyway, this is, he's bringing a lot of points, so hopefully we can try it together. Um, the Chalas okay. So this is, in other words, what the ultimate theme of the accusing forces is it's, it's complaining against Hashem for all sorts of salvations that come undeserved before their time. Now, now what's the deeper connection between... Because he's just bringing kind of a tangent about the creation of man before his time or like... But what, there's obviously, there's always, um, the idea of creation and leaving Egypt are often associated together, like in Shabbos Kiddush. So you can say that, like, man, the ultimate project of humanity is, 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 is kaya to the idea of leaving Egypt, that leaving Egypt is about bringing consciousness to the world. Um, but there's this aspect of it where so much of it comes from Hashem giving a helping hand even when we didn't earn it. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think something that's really interesting that one could pull out from here is the idea that we're... that it's pointing out that there is room and requirement even. It's not just room, but there's a requirement for different kinds of people. In the sense that... So if we we look at that parallel, like if we look... If we're paralleling the creation of the world and the creation of human beings with the leaving of Egypt and the creation of Jewish people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, okay. In order... The Jewish people are one small strand of humanity. Right? And so we are, we are creating Jews, right? And that's another pinnacle in many ways. But there's still the other 90%, 95%, 99%, whatever you want to look, right? There's still that other... And you can't have the creation of the Jews without the existence of everything else, of everybody else. And so they're important too. They have a different role or a different place. But creation would be incomplete if there were only Jews. But yet there's this, there's this energy within creation saying, why? what's so special about them? Like why? And, and they didn't even do anything yet. Right. They're like infant level. Right. You just create, you're giving them this big head start. Why? I mean, and that's, and that's God's answer, though. God's answer is... Well, we tied it, how do we tie it into what we said earlier, that the force of accusation is that which sets in when we don't shine the light of awareness on something. Right. That's a hard connection. Can we make that connection? How is, how is that accusing force related to the accusing force of saying they didn't deserve it? They, that's hard to make the connection. No, it's an obvious. Sorry, that's an obvious. Please, connection. please, yeah. The, I mean, one is the step before the other. What do you mean? So, to live a bad life, so to speak, right? To do bad is to live an unexamined life. 
that there are few people that are able to truly look at the, the evil that they do and feel comfortable and continue doing what they do. That when, when people are forced to see the damage that they do, they often change, right? And so in order to get to that place where people are doing bad and not deserving of things, they have to lead an unexamined life. So, if, so one leads to the other. So if we are examining our lives, we're not gonna get to that point. Or if we're getting to that point, it won't be as bad. Yeah, but again, how is that related? Well, sure, but how is that related to the, the force of the accusation of, right. hey, these people haven't started to examine anything. They, they're just like babies. They, they have, you're just giving them their consciousness. You're giving them their existence. Is there a relationship between the two forces of accusation? Maybe that's just it. He's saying they haven't really worked on themselves. They haven't brought everything to the light of awareness, right? That's what he just said. Right. They're not doing X, therefore they're going to Y. Or, or, and they ha- or they haven't done this. Right. So and why they, are you picking them? Right. I mean, and God's answer is because they will. Right. And then he says, well, Once I give them the tools. Yeah, but then, and, then, and then he's saying, but why them? Why can't you just believe in someone else? So let's see what he says. But yeah, yeah, good. I mean, the irony of that argument, though, I mean, not the irony, the, the, the complication of that argument was it didn't necessarily have to be that way. It was that. Right? So, for example, for example, let's say you're a teacher and you have a classroom and you're choosing somebody to do the class task, the class task, right? Five kids raise their hand, right? The teacher doesn't always have a specific reason for choosing somebody. Right? They choose somebody. And that somebody's gonna say to themselves, well, I was chosen because it was just me. Right? Maybe what was special about me, or what I did something special, therefore I deserved it. But that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes somebody is going to get chosen, and therefore it's somebody's gonna get chosen. And it's not always necessarily for a good reason. It's just that somebody was going to do it, and therefore, and the person that ended up doing it is the one that ended up doing it. Yeah, I mean, these, these questions now get into very deep and not so politically correct uh, discussions of, you know, it, there's a statement, Yisrael Olam HaKshav HaTechila, that like, the thought of, of Israel was the, the most primary force in the entire creation of the universe. In other words, that there's going to be this nation that dedicates to Hashem and being or going. Like, so, pre-creation, there's already a choosing in this model. I mean, you could argue that, but I think, I think, it would, it, it's, I think there's benefit to arguing the other half, second. I mean, the, we have the whole Midrash of God going around and offering the Torah to different people. Yeah. The Jews were the tenth on the list. Yeah, they're, they're all the way at the end. I mean, so, I mean, that Midrash would make the argument for the idea that it wasn't necessarily that the Jews were special in the fact that they were chosen. The, the Jews were chosen because they chose to be chosen. So I actually just saw something on that on that midrash about God going around to him. And what it said was that um, that that offer to all the other nations was their portion in the Torah, and each nation um, what was the word uh, uh, passed up on their portion, and so the Jews took the portion of all the other nations. Now, why did that happen? Right, 
because they because they chose to be chosen. It could speak to some quality of choose that we're we understand that we got out without our merit, and yet we're willing to also believe in ourselves that even though we didn't earn it, that we'll 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 get to it. We can deserve it. Yeah, there's something. I mean, but I think there's something. I think. I mean, sure, we could go in that direction. But I, I think there's something really powerful with the idea of not going in that direction. That why 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 us? Well, it, 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 we weren't preordained for it. <coughs> except that we except that we we wanted it, and so we we, we worked and we and we said yes, this is what we want, and we got ourselves to it. We made ourselves worthy over well, time. And that and that and what does that mean though? What does that mean for everybody else? Right? It means that it could have been anybody. Yeah, so and that brings up by like the, the Ram call he says in Darren Hashem, the way of God, he says basically that you exactly what you said, that until Abraham there was a there was a there's a sorting process, like who's going to be Israel, and there were, there were different lanes that could have gone. And by by the time it was sealed by Abraham, that okay, so we're going to do the version of history where it's only through him and his family. Right. And there's still a question because you know Yishmael, the son of Abraham, um, is kind of in in a way. You know, they have a circumcision. Let's see what he says. I mean, and I think that's particularly pow- powerful idea of Passover. I mean, I think Passover Passover has become a cultural phenomenon. It's not Jewish. It's not only Jewish in right? It's it's like it's like the way Christmas isn't about Christians anymore in America, right? It's become a larger phenomenon of what does this mean, right? And and Passover has become about freedom, and to, and to look at this narrative narrative from the perspective that. You know what? You don't have to be Jewish to choose freedom. The Jews brought the Jews keep this idea alive in the world in this very specific way, right? But the world picks it up every year. And they say to themselves, You're right, is this freedom? Are we slaves in our job? Right. Is no. it time to go off on our own and to have more control over our lives, <laughs> right? Are we are we are we literal slaves? What should we be doing for the, the we have more slaves in history now? In this time, in this modern era, there are more slaves than there have ever been in history. Real slaves. True, honest to God slaves, with zero control over their own lives, who are owned, right? This is the time of year where maybe people stand up and say, okay, I'm gonna donate to this cause, I'm gonna fix this issue, I'm gonna, I'm gonna advocate. Or whatever the, whatever the freedom issue that people happen to connect to that year at that time and that place. And it's not just, it's not something inherent in Jews that we love and want freedom. It's in all of us. It's just maybe it's a little bit more well developed because of the of what we got from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that and that education, and that experience, and that culture, and that life that's been handed down to us and, and set into our subconscious. I want to follow up on that, but I want to also, let's push. Okay, yeah, yeah okay. no, no, it's, it's fantastic. I, I mean, I have so many comebacks. Like, can you really get those people who are literal slaves out? Or does it take a miracle to get them out like it took a miracle to get us out? And all sorts of questions, but I, I just want to go on the text a little bit. <clears throat> um, right. 
this is Moses' fear. He, keep, he keeps trying to uh, run away, whatever, whatever he was doing. He was uncomfortable because he understood this, this power of why are they so special? If, if no one has the vessel that's ready for what you want to give them, why are you picking them? And maybe I will fail because they, they didn't earn it. Just like this nation didn't earn it. Just like no nation earned it. So that's, that's he's saying here why he was uncomfortable. Um, okay. So, so he's saying that God gave Moses his signs that he would be able to stand up against the force of accusation to say, no, I have an answer to you that even though the Jews don't deserve it either, they, there's really a good reason for this. So he says like this. When you talk about a sign, there's another thing when you talk about a sign, when you talk about a lost object, okay? So, like, let's say you have your cell phone, easy, right? You can identify that your cell phone has this, has this background on it. Someone says, you say you lost the cell phone, tell me what's, what's the picture on the background screen. You say this, oh yeah, it's yours. That's called a sign. Um, okay, so you have that. Right. In other words, the essence of the lost object is included in the sign. The sign includes the essence of the object because if you know the sign, it means you, it means that you know the whole object. Okay. okay. All right. So somebody can give the, the, the a really good uh, unique sign. It's a it's a reliable validity test that it really was his object. Right, because the sign is really the essence of the lost object. It, it's what makes it that guy's object. And the fact that he is attached to that sign in such a personal way encapsulates that he owns the thing and that it's his to, to use in his life. In other words, when there's a situation where we lose the object, where, where the, the, in other words, the light is hidden as to the true nature of this item, so you need to hold on strong to the sign so you don't lose your connection to the item. That's the example. This is very deep and abstract, but this is the... All right. This is how you can recognize what the thing is. That it's yours. So this is what Hashem said to Moses. This is your sign. Meaning, through the sign, you will, you will be able to recognize very well 
the light in the root. Okay, in other words, I think he's saying that there's something about the Jewish people that even though they got lost in the darkness of Egypt, they still belong to God. That's what he's saying here, that there's something in their essence that they forgot. But in other words, you got it? In other words, really from the true essential, that's, that's the point we introduced with. That's what we said. From the real origin of things, it's all from Hashem, and we just are connected. And He made our vessel for us without us doing anything. He created, he created us. In the middle is where we have to build the vessel, and you can only need to build the vessel by getting stuck in the darkness of Egypt. But the fact is, yeah, from the perspective of you having to build it out yourself, you didn't do it. But from the perspective of where you came from, which is the sign of who you really are, it's already been done. It's the theme that comes up with this, this uh, school of Radzin over and over. Right, you can't, right. You can't, if the, if the blueprint is always there, right. you can bring the build a vessel. But if there's no blueprint, you would never be able to build Absolutely. And that's why he's bringing the, right now, that the circumcision is also called the sign. Right? Remember Rabbi talked about that over Shabbos. That when the, right, when it's an eight-day-old baby, exactly, beautiful connection, right? He's like, why do we do it when we're eight days old? We haven't even done anything. Because it's to say that from the ultimate beginning origin of your creation, you're simply given the vessel, you're given the whole salvation in the root. The later salvation is just to replicate how you were saved in the, in the very origin of your existence, which is the symbolism of creating the sign in the flesh of the circumcision. Okay. Okay, here's a very mystical Zohar. Okay, okay, we talk about the sign of the covenant in the flesh. We also talk about the sign of the covenant in the cloud by the rainbow. The rainbow is also called an Ot Kesha, the, the sign of, which is called an Ot Brit also. Right? It's the, the, the Brit, the covenant um, that, you know, by Noah's flood. And the cloud is also the thing that Moses goes up into on Mount Sinai. Okay, so we're, ta- we're trying to tie ten things together. It's, this is a particularly complicated one, but let's work on it for a second. All right, so it says Moses went up on, on the mountain in the cloud. What is this cloud? That's the same cloud when Hashem says to Noah that I put my rainbow in the cloud. Fascinating, by the way, that Moses was the reincarnation of Noah, right? And, and just for a second, Moses fixes up Noah because Noah kind of like doesn't really stick his neck out for his generation, and Mo- while Moses says, "You can kill me," and guess what? The Jewish people were the reincarnations of Mo- the people Noah kind of failed to save, 
fascinating. The Jewish people? Yeah. So the Arizal says, I don't know if you've heard this, but um, this is why the babies were thrown in the Nile River to drown. Because they didn't quite get fixed up by the flood. <laughs> yeah, crazy stuff. Um, anyway, so but, wow. rewind, rewind. So, so the the cloud that Moses goes into is the cloud by um, is the same cloud of Noah by the rainbow. Okay, it says that how that the rainbow sent out its garments and gave them to Moses. And with those garments, Moses was able to go up to the mountain. And through those garments, he could see what he could see. And he enjoyed from every heavenly sight. Okay, in other words like this. What is a rainbow now? A rainbow is a semicircle that symbolizes a garment. Okay. Sorry, this is like really complicated, but... Um, Keep going. Alright, let's just work on it. Okay, we're tying the idea of the sign to the rainbow, and this rainbow was this like lens that Moses used to peer into the secrets of all the upper roots of light. Okay, because a rainbow represents the garment that Hashem set up in this world. The garment representing lots of different experiences. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. In other words, to say that the that the expression, the glory of heaven, is not complete without the, the work of Israel. You might say that the rainbow represents that the light is in the root, but it's our job to take the light and the root into the garment, which is the image of a rainbow coming out of a dark cloud. Hmm. Yeah. Alright, great. Alright, also the the moon also has this this semicircle shape like the rainbow, which also represents Consciousness lighting up in a dark night sky type of thing, like which is the idea of our work to light up the darkness. So Hashem says to Moses, "You're worried that they don't get out because they didn't earn it." Hashem says, "This is the sign that I'm giving you," and He gives them the sign of. He throws the, the, the thing down and becomes a snake in the leprosy hand, that thing, that you're going to take them out of Egypt and they're going to serve me on this mountain. Here's, okay, we, we got to the punchline. When you take them to the mountain and you see the rain, the idea of the rainbow coming out again, you see the vessel that it is that the, the vessel in the darkness representing the rainbow or the moon is fully shining out with brilliance, which is the brilliant experience of Mount Sinai, then you'll understand retroactively that they didn't need to make a new vessel because they, their vessel was already made in the origin of their creation. So don't worry that there's this accusing force that's saying they didn't deserve it because what awareness, what do we really need to bring to the light of awareness? That in the real root of our creation, we already know that's the connection. 
that's the connection between that in general this this accusatory force is accusing on when we don't bring things to the light of awareness one of the most important things we need to bring to the light of awareness is to try to access a memory of who we are before we were born into this dark world which is in, in that place we already knew everything our vessel was complete in that origin very nice sorry and when it comes out in experience experience the idea of the rainbow coming out of the dark cloud or the moon filling in, in the dark night sky is only a display of the holiness that a person was already created completely from god without having earned it so the earning it is that right as we said at the beginning of the recording the earning it is only the effort to display and clarify the perfection you were already created as yeah all right let's just finish the piece Okay. Right? Because already from their root, they're already a portion of God. In other words, he's saying something that's not so politically correct, but the fact that the Jews ran to receive the Torah and the other nations were, were freaked out by it and ran away, that itself is a powerful sign that... Um, in the in the in the deep essence of the Jewish people is, is the yeah. But again, so what does it say about the rest of humanity? I mean, let's can we just shelf that question? I because it's controversial, but I want to I want to address it. The Zohar says, "How do you know that Hashem has chosen a person when you see that this person has?" A desire, a powerful desire that causes him to run towards God. In other words, a person's desires and efforts is already a sign that Hashem has already chosen him without him doing anything. The person's energetic attraction to what's good is a sign that he was given that energetic attraction in the nature of his creation without asking for it. In other words, now he's saying that these accusing forces, actually they know that we have this powerful connection in the nature of a creation without earning it. They are these forces. They are our enemies. They are what tries to confuse us as to the perfection that we already created. So from one essence, we are already created in perfection. So our effort is to fight against the voices and the, and the darkness, the psychological negativity, this the culture that surrounds. Our effort is to in other words, what we earn is not to listen to those voices. Let's finish because then I think we can apply that to a more politically correct idea of, well, what about everyone else? Okay. Okay. 
היינו כי מזה שנתגל איש ישראל רואים שלישוע עוד מעתיד להשתלקו ממילא כל המקדשים. כי מזה שנתגל איש ישראל רואים לישוע So this is what it says basically how we give strength to God and that it's important especially on the Seder night but all the time to remember the miracles that it's a person constantly affirming the holiness of their nature. That gives strength to God, quote-unquote, because it gives him strength to make sure that we don't fall prey to the darkness of the, that which tries to prevent us from bringing to the light of, to the light of awareness how we are so perfect in the room. Yisrael v'ahu sipura yahi v'chela. Wow, it's a long piece. Okay, let's take a break. Um, but I want to discuss, so what does this say about... I don't think it's saying that... It's, The, the other nations are like not part of this I think right we're supposed to be a light to the nations that there's a holy spark in all the nations as well that by us fully waking up to our holiness and saying no over and over again to the accuser that wants to put us to sleep we wake up within the rest of the nations um, that they have that quality also I think that's one answer just Did that feel like 45 minutes? Because it was. That was really. You gotta stop. And it's, I mean, there, you go back to that thing where it says the greater light of the, the, the darker the shadow. You ever heard that, that, that it says in the Midrash that Sadiqim from the destruction of the temple, right? So they just went through the trauma of the destruction of the temple, but they were prophetically looking at our generation and said, oh, thank you, Nashem, for not putting me in that one. I'll, I'll take 70 AD, but don't do 2019, please, please. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Now, were they... Were they, were they talking about the Holocaust, or were they, were they still talking about our generation? I don't know. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's just a truism. I mean, and literally, the great, the brighter the light is, the darker the shadows are. And I think, and in, and in most things, the, 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 and I mean, even in Judaism, we say that tzaddikim, they're 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 devils, so to speak. Their evil inclination is not less than than the rest of oh, us. It's, it's actually bigger, yeah. right? So the brighter the light, the darker the, 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 the darker the darkness. That we, we struggle to the extent to, to, to the extent that we, we we have that inclination in us to begin with. I think that in a way, what we are dealing with in 2019 is the greatest challenge ever. Because if we're going on the theory that the darkness is like that which make wants to make a person feel no sense of self-worth, that our generation, whatever this current generation is suffering with it more than ever before because because of the Holocaust we've been totally uprooted from family systems it's like it's like you know it, I mean it's, it's more than that though I mean it's, it's I mean I mean other places are different but American culture is right. very nuclear yes we have the we have the loosest we have the loosest social structures I think in history what do you mean by that loose That they're, they're, we aren't surrounded by strong social connections. We're not, we're not in, 
our communities are, are, are weaker. Our communities are more transitory. I mean, I, 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 don't, I live in Atlanta, not in California, where my family is. I mean, I don't even have my family with me at all. I only have my wife. Right? The, our, our social structures are, are very are weak. Yeah. And you have to try very hard to have a community. Yeah. It takes work. Whereas, in, 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 in if you look at more, I think if you look at most times in history, the social structures were very strong. Yeah. That we were very tightly controlled by our social structures. So in some ways, we're the, that it's the worst it's ever been. Yeah. Because we don't have a community to lean on. And in other ways, it's the best it's ever been. Because it's, it's Abraham had to stand up to a world right. of tight social connections and say, no, this is wrong. And everybody, you can't change when everybody... Because if you change, you push yourself away from the only community. And if all that exists is community, you're kicking yourself out of all everything known. Very nice. Whereas now, it's much easier to change your mind. You can say, you know what, I'm going to go against what everybody says in the world because there isn't so much holding me in one place. Very nice. So the best of times is the worst of times. Cool. Yeah, and I wonder if somehow that's by design in this country, that the economic system that requires two-income household and pretty much requires you to be cool to, to pick up and move across the country to find work is designed to isolate people so that they feel that they have no protection except for within that economy and it like breaks them down so that they could you know put more time and energy into the system not to sound like crazy conspiracy but to your point though uh, when a person is facing the options do I just live in this black hole of just materialism or do I struggle to create community for myself? You know, then they can. I mean, it's never been easier. You just have to do it. You just get up and do it. I mean, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to reach out to most of the world. It's, it's, more, it's, more, it's po- more possible now than it's ever been in history. But it's also harder. Well, yeah, from the, right, there's a wonderful phrase from, that Matasiao sings, from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. So, like, at a certain point, somebody's going to look down, face down the black hole of no community and be like, someone comes along to them and says, you want community? They're like, yeah, that's the only reason I'm in the Torah, is because I was in my Jewish fraternity community, and I'm just like, is this where I'm heading? And then I saw the, the Hillel people, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a community. Like, how do I speak their language? That's all that happened. Dude, let's do a little bit more. <laughs> all right. Only a little bit. Just needed a text break. It's all good. As long as that the, 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 the fire, the energy of their, their salvation doesn't get old, it doesn't dry out, and they continue to speak of the amazing power of, of Egypt was like, it's supposed to be a, a, an event that continues. Like, it's very simple in all the, all the brachot and all the, the Torah. Like, we're continuing the process of leaving Egypt, right? We got out when we weren't ready, so we're continuing to get out in our own form. All right, in other words, as long as a person stays strong in their root, the historical root of leaving Egypt, or the even the prehistorical primordial root of the, that we were formed in holiness, that draws down the power of our true nature to knock away the forces of, of forgetting and confusion and ignorance that want to make us forget 
who we are, how we were created holy in the root. And that fight itself is our contribution to the world. Because again, in the root, we were created perfect. Our contribution is to express that into the dark world by resisting giving up. No, let's stop here. Let's stop here.